0: Hey, good morning, Genesis. How are you? All right, good morning online. We're glad that you are here. Hey, if you are praising the Lord for an extra hour of sleep, go ahead and give your neighbor a high five. Now, if you're not sure about it, go ahead and do it anyway. Give your other neighbor a high five. I don't know how I'm still tired. Uh, I watched my boys play basketball this weekend, and that's how you know you're getting old when you watch other people exercise, and you think, I'm really tired from watching you. And so I'm going to try to dig deep here with the Lord's help, but I don't know if you guys remember this story. too. quite a few years ago, there was a man named Larry Walters. He's from California, and Larry had this dream similar to myself. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. But Larry and I shared this similarity. Our eyes didn't allow us to do that as far as like a fighter pilot join the Air Force or even a commercial level. So Larry's whole life is, you know, wanted to do that, couldn't do it. So one day he kinda got sick and tired and he said, you know what, today is the day I'm gonna fly. Larry got in his truck, drove over to the uh, Army-Navy surplus store and got 45 of these massive, really thick industrial strength weather balloons, filled them with helium, tied them to a lawn chair, tied the lawn chair to his pickup truck at his house. His friends helped him secure it and everything. And so he, his plan was that he was going to just kind of saunter up a little bit over his neighborhood and get a better you know, view of life and just kind of reflection. And so he brought peanut butter and jelly sandwich with him, brought some drinks, brought his, uh, his radio, and he brought his fully loaded BB gun. And so he thought, I'm going to get up here, and then I'll use the BB gun strategically to shoot down those balloons and lower himself down. You can already tell where this story is going to go. His friends said that's not exactly how it went. Instead, they untied the rope from his pickup truck with the the chairs and the hot air balloon, uh, balloon statue, and all of a sudden they said he shot out like he was shot out of a cannon and started taking off above the neighborhood. Next thing you know, over LAX Airport, you get a, uh, I have an identified flying object of what they became known as Lawn Chair Larry. Lawn chair, Larry, elevated to over three miles, over 16,000 feet. If you're keeping score at home, that is pretty high, a little below Everest, but a little above Mount Kenya, Kilimanjaro. If you're an enthusiast like that, and eventually a 737 said, uh, "I have what appears to be a man in a lawn chair in my airspace." <laughs> The L.A. SWAT team lassoed Larry down, brought him back down. Obviously, he had, he had passed out by that point. True story, not even making this up. And when they brought him back down and revived him, he wasn't greeted with a hug or anything like that. He was greeted with a $4,000 ticket for obstructing air traffic. <laughs> then he was interviewed finally after he got through and got, so checked his vitals and everything. And he was interviewed, and they said, Larry, were you scared? Larry, would you do it again? No. (laughs) Good, based on your judgment, right? And then finally, Larry, why did you do it? And he said something profound. He said, I just got tired of sitting around. You know, we've just finished up this series on scent. And I don't know if you ever feel like Larry or like myself. Sometimes I just get tired of the mundane routine. It just feels like I'm sitting around. I'm not, am I living into everything that, that Jesus has for my life? And that's what the book of, of Acts and the series on Scent is really all about. What happens when God's people meet Jesus, grow in Jesus, have his Holy Spirit start to, to change their heart and their character and then we live sent. And so what we're going to do today is kind of look at one of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, who writes a good chunk of the New Testament, about two-thirds, his example in the book of Acts. But he gives us some clues here. But what we're doing, we're following a very biblical pattern of living sent And look at this, Pastor Jerry last week used, he used trees, talked about a a seed, and then a sapling, then a little bit uh, mature tree, and then a tree with fruit. This is, don't be overwhelmed by this chart, okay? Don't worry, there's not a quiz on it, but maybe later. This is a way we talk about disciple making as well. When we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are Bible words that Jesus used to talk about when you put the, the stories together chronologically, how are we maturing in our walk with Jesus. You, and you'll, you'll maybe recognize some of these if you're familiar with the Bible at all. Come and see is the invitation Jesus makes. And then each, each one of these, there's some intensity and there's some time. And then he says, follow me. Then follow me and I'll make you fishers of men or fishers of people. And then there's the full surrender. Or it's the sermon where he preaches come and die. And the disciples are like, don't preach that one. The people are going to leave. And it says the crowds actually did go away. But there is a cost. And then he says, abide and go. And that's the Great Commission, this multiplication of disciples that the book of Acts talks about. But you notice the order there is abide and go, not go and abide. And so we're going to look at the book of Ephesians today. We're going to summarize the whole book. You're going to feel great about yourself. And so we're going to cover a lot of material, and this deserves like a six-week series by itself, but we're going to cover it in one. I don't know why, because that's what we're going to do, okay? And we're going to focus on this living scent abiding and going, not going and abiding. It's easy to get caught up in like, okay, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to my regular rhythm, right? I wake up, and then I gotta get going. I go off to school. I go off to work, and then I go to my meetings, and then I do the to-do list, and then I go to Costco, and then I wish I wouldn't have bought so much to Costco, and then I go back there again, and then I keep going, and then I get home, and I make dinner, or I drive through, or maybe don't even eat together, and then I do my school stuff, and then I entertain myself a little bit to numb things out. I go to bed a little bit too late. I should have gone to bed sooner, and then I wake up and do it again. Is that just me? You're not going to lie to me in church, are you? Okay, fantastic. And so there's more, and that's what we're going to look at today. How do we live into this identity that Paul writes so we don't get sucked into going and abiding, but abiding and going? And so if you have your Bible, go to Ephesians or a Bible app. We're going to camp out in chapter 4, but let me summarize the first three chapters for you. Paul says, here's what your new identity in Christ looks like. And he uses the word Ephesians 1.1. He talks about being God's holy people. Holy means set apart or becoming like Jesus. And so the phrase that is really scattered throughout the book of Ephesians and New Testament is in Christ. In Christ occurs 160 times in the New Testament alone. And the largest concentration is in the book of? slightly better than the first but let's pretend do rewind do over unum reverse here we go and the largest concentration is in okay i almost believed you that time good job and in christ again means out of my identity my heart the center of my will my being this is who i am and so it's a phrase that paul uses to talk about being Holy, becoming like Jesus. This is who you are. And here's how he summarizes the first three chapters. It's his prayer, and it's in chapter 3, 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's Jesus and Holy Spirit, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all lords, there it is, holy people, to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ. And to know this kind of love that surpasses knowledge, it may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul seems to be praying, hey, our goal is to be like Jesus, to be holy, to be fully his, to let him transform our very inner being. That is our identity in Christ. We are to abide and then go and live sent lives. The problem is we often get that order mixed up. And so Paul goes through great lengths to set up this theological framework in the first three chapters. And in this this prayer, you can see how he kind of sprinkles almost like a, a, a bread trail crumb of like, look, it's about the spirit doing it in your inner being. He dwells or abides in you, your heart, your identity. He's putting all this theological language together in one prayer on purpose to remind us, hey, get the identity piece right, not just do the behavior stuff. And so another way of saying that is that your behavior flows from your identity. Say that with me. Behavior flows from identity. That's what the next four through five and six chapters are about. Verse three, identity. Next three, now what do I do? And it's really tempting that if you just kind of open your Bible or scroll through or like do a little search on what words are, what, what's it mean to be a good Christian or something like that, you look at chapters four through six of all the to-do things. Here's the tangible. Here's what I'm supposed to, it's supposed to look like. But Paul says, wait, wait, wait. Remember, behavior flows from identity. Don't jump just to that. And so I love how uh, Robert Mulholland talks about the Christian life. He says, the Christian life in its fullness is far more than just being active in your Christian community, affirming a certain set of beliefs or adopting a particular behavior pattern. It's more than just behavior modification. These are secondary results of the primary reality of a life engaged in an ever-deepening union or abiding with God in love. It's his presence, that holy love. It means to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, changing you slowly but surely to be like Jesus. Or you could say it, the purpose of being a Christian or a Christ follower is to be Christ-like. So Paul sets all this up and now we go to Ephesians chapter 4. Hey, good job. You're halfway through. Give yourself a hand. Good job, everybody. All right. And then he says, therefore, which means in light of everything else, pay attention to this. He says, a prisoner. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. So, he's first of all, literally a prisoner, but the term means actually something more than his... his you know, physical location. He's talking about prisoner here in terms of he is all in. He is fully committed to God. He is both holy and holy with a W-H, God's. I am completely yours and I'm writing this to you. So you know that my identity in Christ is is completely rooted in that. And then he says, lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called. You know, Names are a funny thing. They have a lot of meaning throughout Scripture. And has anyone ever struggled to name their kids? Just us? Okay, we really struggled to name our boys especially. Seemed like everybody we knew. Like, oh, we we know that person. We don't like that person. There's a lot of those people or things like that. Anybody else struggle? Okay. A couple of nods, a couple of liars. Okay. Just kidding. No. <laughs> and so like we really struggled and we're like, Oh, what is the right name? We prayed. And then I started realizing there's actually a whole field of study dedicated to this. It's called, are you ready for this? Nominative determinism. Yeah, I know you were not coming to church ready for that one today. Hey, say it with me. Nominative determinism. It literally means the study of names. NYU professor Adam Alter talks about names and how they have the power to shape who we are. Do you want to hear a few examples of nominative determinism? Oh, thank you for asking. I was going to do it anyway. And so Dr. Richard Payne is known for his expertise in the field of pain relief. Prince Fielder, professional baseball player. Derek Kickoff, NFL kicker. There we go. You see how this works? Dr. Lee Popwell is a chiropractor. Can't make this stuff up. Daniel Snowman has written lots of books on the Arctic. Usain Bolt was the fastest man in the world at one point. Get it? Lightning Bolt. Fast. Okay. And then Dr. Zolan Overy. (laughs) It's true. Gynecologist. And Dr. Randall Toothaker is, of course, a cardiologist. You guys are terrible at this. Okay. So, no. Yes, a dentist. And the whole point is Names are powerful. I'm not a determinist, meaning that everything in life is already predetermined. But it's hard to think that names don't have some effect or what people call us to have some shape on our lives. Maybe growing up, you had a, a coach or a mom or a dad or teacher, and they, they were super encouraging. You're the gifted one, man. You're smart. You're, you're handsome or you're beautiful or, man, you're athletic or you're whatever. They Something encouraging. And or maybe you weren't as fortunate. Maybe you had someone in your life who said a lot of those less than encouraging things. Why can't you be more like your sister or your brother? Or you're you're no good. You're worthless. Why can't? I mean, you're you're ugly. You're dumb. Maybe they said some harsh things to you. But over time, those things, those names, what people called you. They started to shape you, slowly but surely. It's called the early and often principle. What people say about us early and often, if we're not careful, can become our identity. But here's the thing about identity. And is, identity is defined as the truest thing about you. But listen, here's the tricky part, okay? It's the truest thing about you. But the truest thing about you may not actually be true. Because you just have to believe it's true in order for it to believe that it's true. Does that sound true? (laughs) Identity defines the truest thing about you. So if you believe a lie about yourself, you start to believe, that's true, it must be true, that's what they said about me. And then you have this internal narrative, this little dialogue in your head running. But here's the thing about identity. Only the person you belong to has the right to name you. Remember the old hymn? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So because of your identity in Christ, he has the right to name you. So early and often, he names you. All these things we're gonna see in a second here, but the enemy wants you to, to be reminded of your old identity, all these lies. And so here's how Ephesians four one is literally translated. Lead a life worthy of your calling, it's translated... Lee, live a life worthy of who God has called you. Isn't that good? Live a life worthy or what He literally calls you. And then here's the list that Paul gives us in the book of Ephesians. Look at all these names of, of who we are in Christ. Man, this is a highlight reel of encouragement. Like we talked about uh, you know, Pastor Nelson, man, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick fil A, said, How do you know you need encouragement? You're breathing. <laughs> Look at this encouragement. You're chosen and adopted in Christ. You're holy, blameless, loved, redeemed, faithful, forgiven, made alive. You have a purpose. You're God's masterpiece. That's great news. That's not just good news. That's great news. So because of who you are in Christ, you now know how to live. He says, this is what it means to have your identity in Christ. You're holy. And then the second characteristic of your identity in Christ comes in this next passage, verse 2 and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with patience with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The second characteristic is you're holy and then humble. Tell your neighbor, be humble. Seriously, go ahead. Tell your neighbor, be humble. It feels like a trick question, doesn't it? You're holy and then you're humble. And... When your identity is in Christ, we're not talking about just trying harder to be humble. That's like trying to jump and not land. just doesn't work, right? Like, You can't just try harder to be humble because then you're not humble, right? Instead, it has to flow out of who you are. Humbleness comes out of holy love. And then out of that, you're willing, you're teachable. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to always fight for, for your way. And then it leads to gentleness and patience making allowance for those other people, or realizing, oh, there's some things in my own heart and life I need to work on. Holy and humble. You can do this because you're secure in your relationship, your identity, your worth, your value. is isn't in all the things you're doing, but it's in that abiding relationship first. Remember, behavior flows from identity. And then Paul continues on. He says, hey, there's one more characteristic here, guys. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he gives us whole list. We call these spiritual gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers, all to equip the church, God's people. We have a massive task. And so the third characteristic is holy, humble, and then be confident. It's okay. It's not arrogant to be confident in Christ. He's given each of us gifts and talents. And if we use those in confidence to help build each other up, to share the good news of Jesus, that is a good thing. We are holy in him. He gives us humility to be teachable, available, willing to do anything. And then we have a confidence to use these gifts so that other people can know the good news of Jesus. This is how we live sent. And so this is part of the, the great commission. This is what it looks like, the everyday commission. We're supposed to use these gifts." Like Matthew 8 talks, 28 talks about, to go out to all the world. Go out to your schools. Go out to your basketball team. Go out to your, your, your people that you're having lunch with, the, the mom's group you're with, the retired group you're with, whatever it is. If he calls you to be a missionary across the other side of the world. This is, your identity in Christ doesn't change. It's holy, humble, and confident. And he says, then if you do these things, you're going to become mature. Here's what it looks like. Verse 13. Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. If you're mature, you're growing, you're, you're having the ability to do some new things that you didn't used to. Just kind of like when, you, when a little baby is walking. Look at this picture of a baby. This baby's adorable, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody loves a little baby. I don't care how cold-hearted you are. You see a little baby and you're like, aww, one, two, three, aww. And we give a lot of grace for those little babies, right? We give them a little finger to hold. Do they fall down? We pick them back like up. We say, that's adorable. But, you know, if someone has, like, been learning to walk a long time and they're not really maturing, it's kind of strange to see, like, a full-grown adult in a, Chinese, in a high chair here, right? You know? <laughs> and so that's strange. We're supposed to attain to the full measure of maturity, that word maturity in Scripture actually has a word picture built in. Check out this, this graphic here. And then you're thinking, that's adorable. John had his children. Help him draw this. No, that's, that's my artwork. I'm not a good artist. And so <laughs> that word maturity or mature follower has this word picture of growth and kind of this stair step of progress. And so it means that as you keep walking with Jesus through life's ups and downs, you start experiencing Uh, victory, and emotional healing, and freedom, that we're not fighting for victory. Scripture says we already have the victory, so we worship from a place of victory. We live from a place of victory, but then we begin to to walk through mental, emotional, spiritual challenges. And so you see that top arrow kind of at the bottom here? So maybe Jesus teaches you something new. There's something new in Scripture pops out, or a study you read, or a podcast you listen to, new lesson. But then there's some challenges, a downward arrow. Maybe you have some doubts or some questions or maybe you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or, or something happens, right? You struggle. But then you keep walking. You keep maturing. Your brothers and sisters in Christ surround you. God's word continues to shape you. The Spirit's encouraging you. And then the next day you you advance. To be a mature follower has this picture of movement. A follower is not a sitter. A follower is not a stander. It implies Movement. We have to keep walking with Jesus. And as we do that, he starts, the Holy Spirit starts to transform us in ways we didn't think. Oh, I'm never gonna change. I'm never gonna get past that that hurt. Or he's never gonna maybe help me overcome this pattern in my life, or this thought, or or this lie that the enemy wants me to believe. But through the power of the Spirit, he can. And that's what Paul continues on here. Verses 20 and following. He says, put off your old self. <laughs> Put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Again, you see this pattern. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Early church father Athanasius—that's a fun word to say. He said it like this: Jesus became like us, so we could become like Him. It sounds like a tall order, but through the power of the Spirit, says Paul. Says, "Hey, this is the expectation. You can do this. You can become like Jesus." Not in your own strength, but just trying hard, but through the Holy Spirit. He says, but be careful. Guys, don't go back to this old self. Look at the list. He gives us one more review. Don't go back to the old way. This is a summary. It's not exhaustive. But he does some big categories here. Look at this list. This is not a great list. (laughs) He says, but go, look at the new self. (coughs) And then he says, which one do you want to (laughs) be? Which identity do you want to remain in? The old or the new? The new one looks pretty good. The Holy Spirit can transform you. Now, (coughs) if if you're not careful, this can look like a list of rules of do's and don'ts. But remember that behavior flows from identity. And Paul has set up this whole theological framework to say you're in Christ. Now this is how you live. You know, when I, when I first got married, here's a, a wonderful little picture, like baby John and Erica, isn't that, oh, one, two, three, oh, it's almost like it's good as a baby, but not quite. When I first got married, I, I there were some things I knew I signed up for, love and cherish, faithfulness and, you know, sickness and in health, we had those vows, it was great, but then there were some things I, I didn't know I signed up for. Like apparently you don't drink out of the milk jug and you never leave a dirty dish in the sink. And, uh, you know, if she asks, Do does this black dress make me look good? The answer is yes, yes it does. And then when she says, hey, we should get a pet cat, I, I probably should ask a few more questions next time, you know? And so that's not Photoshop, real Cheeto. And so, but when I learn these different things about my wife, or she learns different things about me, I could look at those as a list of rules of do's and don'ts, or, and if I did that, it, we'd be pretty frustrated, we'd be pretty bitter, we'd keep score, we'd be pretty self-focused. But that's not how God designed marriage to work. Instead, when I learn these new things, or she learns some new things about me, we make those adjustments, not because it's a list of do's and don'ts, but because of my relationship to her, with her. Out of love, I say, of course I'll respond and do this or do that. And that's what Paul ends with here. He says, guys, this is not a list of of rules. He's not saying, hey, good luck with that. (laughs) He's saying, no. These behaviors flow from your identity in Christ. And because of your love for Jesus and his love working inside of you, it flows out to these different areas. And in God's timing, in God's way, he shapes you. And so here's I wanna, how I want to close, guys. It's a little bit of a serious moment here. Gonna, we're going to give some space, but we're going to go back to Ephesians 4.1. We're going to start and where we started. Remember, he says that I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, literally, of who God calls you to be. I'm going to give us some space here to, to use those three by five cards. Hopefully you didn't take notes on those. If you need to get another card or a pen, you, you can do that here in a moment. But what I want you to do is kind of think we're going to tear this in half in a moment. But on one side, we're going to put, is there a, a lie that maybe you're tempted to believe? And it may be one of the lists from the, from the scripture there, or maybe something else totally internally dialogue that, that you are tempted to believe. then the other side, we're going to write a truth. And here's, here's a list that Paul gives us here from the book of Ephesians. And it may be one of these, or maybe something else. You may need to add something more personal in there, that you're, you're valued, or um, you are worthy, you're not worthless, or something like that. You know, I'm I'm tempted to believe the lie that I'm not a good enough husband, or dad, or leader, or I'm an imposter, I'm not smart enough, or I want everyone to like me, those are things, those are lies I believe in right on this side. But then the other side, write the truth of who Jesus says you are. And Again, it may be one of these things or maybe something more like, hey, I'm his son and I can be confident in him. I'm his daughter and that's enough. And so then we're going to tear that. And we're going to give some space. To respond to what the spirits. This is, this is a hard moment because these are things that have deeply rooted our identity in and probably accidentally over time. And it's easy for the enemy to just push on us and, and get us to try to go back to that old way, that old self, instead of that new self in Christ. And so we've got tables up here with baskets. No one's going to see what you write. And we'll have the prayer team available we're going to invite you to come as the lord leads you we'll sing we'll worship together but right now i want to give you some time some space is there a lie that you're tempted to believe here write that on one side and then the truth you're going to keep that with you you're going to put that in your bible you're going to put it on your mirror you're going to put it on your dashboard you may take a picture of it make it your lock screen on your phone something that you just want to be reminded this is who i am in Christ and the enemy's not going to hold me back from living sin so go ahead and take a few moments right now and then we'll I'll pray for us and we'll stand and worship together go ahead and write down that truth and that lie as we sing together you may need some time to sit there and that's okay you may want to pray with some folks around you you may want to kneel in your chair where you're at I don't know what your comfort level is but we also have uh, elders and staff and folks on our prayer team up front here that would be so so thrilled to pray with you if you want to talk to someone about it or you may just want to go ahead and put that lie in the basket and leave it there and keep that truth and hold on to that let me pray for us Jesus we thank you for the truth of who you are the God in Christ we are chosen and adopted we're holy and blameless. we're loved and redeemed we're faithful forgiven God we're, we're your sons we're your daughters we're made alive in you we have worth we have value we have a purpose. God you've created us on purpose so God we pray for the Holy Spirit to to continue to fill us and form us, to make us more and more like Jesus, to make us holy, humble, and confident in you. So we invite you to move in this, in this timing, in this place, as we continue to worship and live lives of being sent.